for women, we have to look at addressing inflammation because a lot of times that is what's holding on to those weight especially the water weight. And secondly, we have to address the hormones. And the hormone is not just estrogen, progesterone, it's also adrenals and thyroid as well, right? So we have to like look at the entire piece and see which is the weakened system that we need to support. Hi everyone, I am Donna Edda, and you're listening to The Interested Podcast, the show that brings you ideas for wellness. Is life over when women hit menopause? Thankfully, no. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Jiwamin, a Canadian licensed naturopathic doctor, on how menopause affects women's weight and general well-being, and how diet can restore or throw off the balance of your hormones. Welcome, Jiwamin. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Today, we're going to talk about menopause. And, and I think some women, including me, find it a bit of a mystery. Can we start by talking about what is menopause? I consider menopause as the rite of passage that women go through as they move away from their reproductive years, right? So I don't want people to, there's a lot of, you know, misconception and people think like, oh, I'm getting old, my life has come to an end, you know, we can get pretty dramatic around menopause. But I think I just consider it as one, just another rite of passage that we go through. And, you know, in, in the medical terms, menopause is when your period stops. Right. When you start your ovaries basically stop producing estrogen because there's no more growing follicles left. Um, and when women don't have her period for 12 consecutive months, um, then she, and, and then when she runs like FSH, uh, which is a follicle stimulating hormone test and they, and her levels are higher than 30, then usually doctors would confirm that, OK, you have entered menopause. Right? What follicles? Follicles are um, before the before it turns into an egg. We call it follicles, right? Oh, okay. And, and I don't know whether a lot of women know about this, but as a little girl, when we're born into this world, we contain all the possible follicles that we can mature and pop into an egg, right? So we actually are born with all of that that we're gonna grow and and then and then ovulate, right? So we already know how many periods we're gonna get in our lifetimes <laughs> when we were babies. So there is primordial follicles, which is going to be uh, a lot more. But um, people say you know you basically grow about a few hundreds of them um, over your reproductive years. Yeah. So how does a woman know when she is approaching menopause? Um, before women get into menopause, they go through this extended period, which we call perimenopause. How extended is the period? Just so um, I'm prepared. <laughs> so perimenopause can range between six to 10 years. As early as mid late 30s, women can enter into perimenopause um, because the age when men, when women get into menopause is between 45 and 55. Do we test for it? Do we need to test for it? There is not really a way of testing that, um, right? Because basically what happens during perimenopause, you still have your period. It's just that you suddenly get these menopausal symptoms like night sweats, insomnia, like feeling anxious and feeling pissed off. You know, that's going to be a quite common symptom and just like having difficulty coping. You know, and sometimes when women go to their doctor's office and say, you know, doctor, I have these kind of symptoms, I get night sweats, you know, I have difficulty sleeping at night, I get really anxious and have difficulty coping, the doctor would just say, and and I have irregular periods, you know, and suddenly my periods are getting very heavy and someday, sometimes I get it really late and I don't know what to expect and I think, you know, I'm going crazy. The doctor would basically put you on a birth control pill to regulate your cycle and then give you some sort of antidepressant or antipsychotic drug, right? for your moods, right? So it's kind of like managed symptomatically, not addressing the root cause of things, right? But so having an irregular period is okay during that time or it can It's be- common and during that time. So what women will typically notice is that their periods will initially might get shorter. So if they were been pretty regular 28 day cycle, their periods might come like 24 days, 25 days, right? And then eventually it will get longer and longer, right? And um, this is like our body's attempt to get rid of all those follicles in our ovaries, right? So dumping all it and clearing out. So there is this uh, researcher um, called 
Geraldine Pryor, and she's like the lead researcher in women's menstrual health and ovulation. And how she puts it is like the ovaries grand finale, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we are literally clearing it out uh, to prepare for for the new phase of life, right? So I think she's very on point. Yeah. Oh, that is really comforting yeah. that we're preparing for the new phase of life. Yeah. It is not that now life is over and we're going to shrivel up and be old and grumpy. Mm -hmm. So there is light at the end of that transition, yeah. right? But I just want to go back to the relationship between the follicles and hormones. Mm -hmm. Is that is that where the relationship comes from with the estrogen? Mm -hmm. Can you explain that a little bit? So estrogen can be produced not just in the ovaries, but inside the ovaries, it gets produced when the follicles are maturing and growing, right? Um, so that's where it comes from in our reproductive system. But estrogen get also produced in adrenal glands. It can also produce estrogen as well. So, so the two places. And also our fat cells. Right. So when women accumulate a lot of belly fat, you know, or there is an aromatase activity that converts testosterone to estrogen. So we can women can end up with estrogen dominance, you know, when we gain more weight. Right. So that can also happen. Right. So there is many ways estrogen are made. But for when women are in their reproductive years, the main ones are being made from the ovaries. So what are the symptoms of menopause? Hmm. So the symptoms can vary. Like I said, in the perimenopause phase, it could be night sweats. Um, some women could have some hot flashes as well, um, vaginal dryness and difficulty, I mean, pain during intercourse that can happen, a low libido, right? And weight gain, women will find that, oh, in a year, I gain like five to 10 kilos and I haven't changed anything. I'm eating the same diet, I'm working at the same, but somehow I can't lose the weight, right? This is a very common problem that a lot of women actually come and see me with. I always have to remind them, it doesn't work out as reducing calories and exercising more. That doesn't work for women, that is for men. So for women, we have to look at, you know, addressing inflammation because a lot of times that is what's holding on to those weight especially the water weight, right? Um, and secondly, we have to address the hormones, right? And the hormone is not just estrogen progesterone, it's also adrenals and like thyroid as well, right? So we have to like look at the entire piece and see which is the weakened system that we need to support. And once women kind of do that, and they add layer to that healthy lifestyle, then women will notice that they start dropping weight, which they haven't been able to for the last year or two, right? I think a lot of women are gonna be so happy to hear yeah. that they don't have to sweat it out <laughs> and do three hours boot camp to lose the weight. In fact, I have to tell women not to work out for the first, first month or so, because a lot of times when I see women, they're burnt out. And when they are, so to speak, quote unquote, adrenal fatigue or burnt out, um, doing more exercise is adding more physical stress to the body. And the body actually wants to hold on to that weight even further, right? So we actually have to give a body a break, actually remove obstacles to cure, which is tends to be the things that people like to hold on to, those like food cravings, right? Um, so we actually start there by removing inflammatory foods and clearing out um, by optimizing that detoxification. Can yeah. you unpack those two things? So inflammation start with the foods and inflammatory foods, I say it's different for everybody. So uh, like gluten and dairy might be like driving up inflammation for one person may not be for another person. Um, egg would be a very nutritious food for one person, but it drives inflammation like crazy for another, right? Eggs, really? Yes, and soy. I find um, a lot of Asian background individuals tend to also have soy sensitivity. Um, and that soy tends to create a lot of brain fog or you know weight, that kind of thing, right? So we have to really understand and unpack what is the foods that is driving inflammation for this person. And then we have to kind of step back and remove that. Another big thing that I see, which becomes the biggest obstacle for a lot of perimenopausal women is alcohol. So alcohol actually um, derails sleep so um, it would actually disturb uh, people's sleep quality. And not only that, it increases inflammation, it drives up estrogen, it increases weight gain. So what's the recommended So I would <laughs> actually, <laughs> I'm really scared to hear the answer. 
I would actually recommend women to initially, when we are trying to reduce inflammation, we I actually recommend to abstain from it for a month. Right. So I always have to remind them this is not a life sentence. It's just for four weeks. We're gonna you know get, take it out of your system and give your system a break, especially your liver, because your liver has to do its job to detoxify the excess hormones, right? And also, you know, keep the digestion going optimally as well. So we always focus on digestion and detoxification in our first round, first phase of treatment so that we, you know, set the foundation strong, yeah. And the second piece of the puzzle, so the first one is inflammation, and the second you're talking about balancing the hormones, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So how, what can, what can be done to help with the weight gain for women? So like I said, estrogen dominance um, plays a big role in terms of you know, weight gain, right? Hypothyroidism also causes women to gain more weight, especially around- What is that hypothyroid? Hypothyroidism is the underactive thyroid. So when women are, you know, when their thyroid is a bit sluggish, their metabolism goes down and they're more easily to gain more weight, especially around their thighs um, and hips. So that's where women typically gain their weight when they have hypothyroidism. So that can also cause irregular period and women might think, oh, am I entering perimenopause? But then you have to also look into, you know, that may not be the only reason why. So we have to look at the thyroid as well. So, so how can you balance the thyroids? Actually, I, told, I said we were not going to go in there because we might not end up time. But quickly, like, is, is there a way, a quick, easy way to do it? So thyroid, I actually wanted to talk about this because it's very relevant to our topic, is because thyroid is connected to adrenal and our ovaries through another connection called ovarian adrenal thyroid axis, right? So That's an expressway there. (laughs) Exactly, because hormones are chemical messengers that relay communication between different body parts to help us carry out different functions in our body, right? So there is so many connections that are happening, right? So when one gets out of control, the whole system kind of crumbles, right? So when thyroid is you know, out of control, then the adrenal and the ovary is gonna be affected, right? So women would have irregular cycle or no periods, right? If they have a thyroid condition. Or let's say if a person, like I said, you know, adrenal glands are our backup support for estrogen and progesterone. When women is burnt out or chronically stressed, whether due to physical, emotional or mental reason, um, what can happen is that the brain connecting with the adrenal gland um, is going to misfire and it's going to cause the adrenal glands to produce low cortisol, right? And when that happens, not only low cortisol, it's going to produce less estrogen, less progesterone. And when cortisol and adrenal glands is just functioning like blah, right? That's going to affect the thyroid function as well, right? So it's a kind of a domino effect. And when we have low progesterone and estrogen, that's going to also affect the thyroid function, right? So it kind of go in circles too. So I guess a better question would be actually asking how to avoid that from happening rather than how to fix it, right? I guess both. Because women do present with both cases. Most of the time, they actually come with a problem, right? So when women presents with a thyroid condition, I always have to address their adrenals. Because usually adrenal was the starting point. They were burnt out and then their thyroid started to, you know, become underactive, right? So we have to look at both pieces in order to restore that woman's thyroid function, right? And then um, when a woman has a hypothyroidism, that is going to increase or worsen menopausal symptoms, right? So when woman is approaching menopause or she's in her perimenopause phase, we also have to make sure that, you know, is she or is her thyroid working optimally? And we run blood tests to check that. Just before coming here, I actually had uh, had a uh, online call with a, a prospective patient who actually brought her uh, lab results to me. And she basically said, you know, she was feeling having a lots of morning fatigue. She was having this massive brain fog as if her windows are dirty, right? And she was gaining more weight. She was feeling um, forgetful and confused at times. Um, and basically she run the, all these blood tests and her doctor said everything was fine. When I looked at it, it wasn't fine. So the way um, just regular medical doctors look at the blood tests, they are always looking for abnormality. Um, any things that is off the chart that we have to diagnose their disease for, right? Um, but when it comes to naturopathic doctors, we look at optimal levels for functioning, right? So when I looked at her thyroid uh, 
panel. Well, they only run TSH and T4, which is not enough. Um, what else should they run? I recommend her to go back to her doctor and run T3. Um, so TSH, T3, T4, um, those are the free thyroid hormones that gets you know converted into inactive and active form, and also reverse T3. So this is another form of T3, like a thyroid hormone, that actually takes up the space of T3 which is the active version that actually has to get into the cells and help our body, you know, you know, have better metabolism and, and run smoothly, right? So, you know, reverse T3 has to be done. And also I asked her to run some antibodies like anti-TPO, anti-TG, and I, I, these are all um, relevant markers that we have to look into to decide, is she just hypothyroidism or is she Hashimoto's thyroidism? Right. So we have to look at both pieces and also looking at the T4 and T3 or we have to look at, you know, is she converting the inactive to active really well or can we support it further? Right. So, you know, we have to there, there could be so many information that can be happening. But typically medical doctors like to run just TSH in Canada. But here at least T4, um, but those are not enough information for us to guide a proper management of these um, individuals. I guess they do it because that's the only information they need to prescribe Synthroid. What is it? Prescribe what? Synthroid, levothyroxine, which is the medication that is commonly prescribed for hypothyroid patients. In your opinion, is that a good solution? Because <laughs> so, I haven't heard such good review on that from all my natural kind of friends? From what I've observed is that, you know, any kind of synthetic hormone that we put into our body, basically our body is very smart. It likes to be efficient. It doesn't like to do work when it doesn't need to do work, right? So when there are external sources of hormone, it shuts down its own production of hormones, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, but putting women on the pill, putting women on levothyroxine is basically telling her that you have to be dependent on this medication for the rest of your life, right? So, and personally, that is not my choice when it comes to health. I would rather tap into the innate intelligence of my own body and make my own hormones, and if it's out of balance, maybe work into ways to optimize the levels, right? Because um, I know that these hormones exist for a good reason, and it does very important function. It carries out very important functions in our body, right? So, Are there extreme cases where you think women should go on such a replacement hormone, or do you always think there is another way? What I would like to start off is that when women typically go to the doctor's office in their perimenopause phase, um, the doctor will give them the pill or suggest a hormonal contraceptive like IUD, right? And what these medication does is that it helps their period regular, right? It, it keeps them from getting pregnant. Like it serves certain functions, but what it stops doing is that it prevents the body from ovulating. Well, the pill definitely keeps the woman from not ovulating, right? Um, the IUD, some IUDs actually, you know, women do ovulate on IUD, but then, you know, there's hormone aspects to certain IUDs and certain IUDs don't have hormones. So there is like different aspects to it, but definitely women are not making adequate amounts of their own hormones, right? So what I say is that each and every ovulatory cycle that woman has during her reproductive years is actually like a deposit that she puts into her long-term health. Because, you know, there has been research showing that when women actually have healthy ovulation and when the healthy ovulation happens, our body is designed to have healthy levels of progesterone. And when that happens, that can actually have, you know, a preventive effect on you know, cardiovascular disease, um, dementia, osteoporosis, and breast cancer. Right. Mm. So those benefits is going to happen way many years after menopause. Right. So you're missing out. You're literally missing out on all, all these goodies by keeping your period um, tied to the pill. Right. Or the hormone contraceptive. Right. I'm going to go back to the symptoms a bit later, but I really want to touch on the point where you're talking about putting the deposit in your mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in your later years. I'm scared to think there are women out there who have been on the pills for years and years and, and making those choices already and perhaps now looking back thinking, oh, what have I done? Is it too late to correct it? I always what's, your, say what's your point of view? You're never too late, right? As long as you still are, you know, if you're in menopause already, um, 
I, I, you know, here's a scenario when woman is already in her years of menopause, if the woman is in her 50s and she's trying to get off of her pills now, the problem is the pill prevents the woman from ovulating. So she might still have some follicles left in her ovaries. So although she's 50, there might be a slight chance that my, she, she might get pregnant again, right? So she needs to dump still those follicles first. And the thing is, when you come off of the pill, <clears throat> your natural production is going to be low, right? Because your body has been dependent on this pill for a very long time. So imagine low estrogen, low progesterone, that she is going to have more severe symptoms of menopause. And that makes her a perfect candidate for HRT hormone replacement therapy, right? So you can see this transition happening from one medication to another, right? And this is how, in a way, the system is set up, which is kind of sad, right? Because I think women can benefit so much from connecting with her menstrual cycle, but in a way, we've been robbed of that opportunity by, you know, doctors saying, oh, you have a regular cycle, oh, you have painful cycle, let's put on you on the pill. Going back to the symptoms then, hot flushes, I have heard from people that it is so horrible and people misunderstand that think they're just hot and mm. apparently it's not, it's burning from the inside mm. so badly that they can't even function. Can you explain why that is happening so then perhaps we can improve and manage that symptoms? Mm -hmm. So hot flashes you know, the common kind of presentation that I see in a lot of my perimenopause or even like early on in a lot of women that I see um, is yin deficiency. So this is a TCM diagnosis perspective. Um, as a naturopathic doctor, I do have a background in TCM, so I can also understand uh, Eastern kind of a diagnosis and medical uh, way of thinking. So when you see when, so going back to what yin deficiency really means. So yin is the cooling energy. Yang is the hot burning energy, right? So when yin is deficient, it gives yang to rise, right? So you have relative excess of yang. And this is like the TCM diagnosis of internal heat that is built up because the yang is rising due to a deficient state the, the woman is currently on. What I typically see in the physical presentation, I see this deep midline crack coming down through their tongue. And I can right. imagine people kind of like checking the their white, tongue. The white tongue with a crack or not even the white? It's not even the white. It's just the whiteness will be a sign of dampness, but it's just the tongue with a very deep midline crack, right? And, and these women tend to uh, be very driven, uh, either are very overworked, right? Highly stressed out. Um, they eat a lot of salads. Um, this is a common observation that I made. Um, they tend to work out, exercise a lot. They like fronting. They like these very young movements, right? Um, but then um, they also notice that they have constant dry mouth that is doesn't get better without drinking lots of lots of water, right? So these are some of the presentations that I see. And these women tend to have more menopausal symptoms, right? And and this could be the reason behind the hot flashes as well. Are people born with that tendency or it's a lifestyle thing? I would agree. I would say it's a more of a lifestyle reason. How can they balance the yin deficiency? So yin is like the material substance that ground people, right? So women who's experiencing yin deficiency, who's having insomnia, who's having dry um, night sweats, right? Um, and all these things, they are basically in Western medical term, they have, they are burnt out right? Um, they are running on an empty tank. They're not well nourished, right? Um, they are being too busy, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a very modern woman phenomenon, I would say. Um, so I think we need to look at addressing those things. So what I've seen typically works for these women, definitely reducing inflammation. Inflammation tends to be that internal heat that is driving that. Um, also using cooling herbs, um, certain herbs has different affinities and different um, energies to that. So there are cooling herbs and warming herbs, grounding herbs, stimulating herbs, right? So using more cooling herbs and grounding herbs help these women, um, as well as some acupuncture can be very helpful as well. Would these herbs um, work against Western medicine for those who are on some form of hormonal 
replacement therapy already? I wouldn't say that. I think we work together, um, especially um, one of the, the my favorite herb is ashwagandha, um, is withania. It's, it's an Indian herb. Um, we use the root of it, but it is amazing for a lot of women with thyroid issues. It is amazing herb for women who feels wired and tired at bedtime and cannot sleep. Um, it is very... Uh, anti-stress herb when people are under a lot of chronic stress it keeps them cool and collected and grounded so it's an amazing herb all around and a lot of women benefit from it how do you take that it, i usually use it in a either a tablet or capsule form yeah right. yeah and and people it's safe there's no side effects um people with you know nightshade sensitivity um those might aggravate right uh, but from what i've seen usually well tolerated yeah can you talk about how insomnia plays a role mm-hmm. in this? Like I said, alcohol can be playing a role, right? So when we are looking at the person, we always have to look at the whole person. What is she eating? How is she carrying her life? Is she sleeping well? You know, what is her habit like? You know, what is her nighttime ritual like? You know, and also, you know, looking at different systems and see where is the weak coming from right um so like looking at the gut looking at the thyroid looking at the adrenal like whichever it is that we need to balance we have to you know focus our attention there um and that's why you know managing sleep might be simple as giving them lavender capsule to you know um or magnesium before bedtime to you know more comprehensive like we have to start from removing certain habits that are giving you a second wind or we can't just have a magic pill and and fix it (laughs) no unfortunately not and some people it could be associated with their thinking and thought patterns and fears right in those cases working with a psychotherapist or psychologist would be beneficial to kind of reframe those thoughts and and help them with the insomnia right so it really has to do with what is causing it it is the anxiety coming from fear or is it more of a chemical imbalance in the brain or or is it just the person, the hormone is off or, you know, coming from alcohol, right? So you give us an example of a case that we've worked with where the woman actually was suffering from all the symptoms and how your treatment has helped her. I have two cases. One um, is the lady was uh, coming to see me because she was having this cyclical back pain that was very debilitating. So um, and she was 45. And she, and she was also having these tender rests, and and she and that was happening around the time her daughter was having her period, and she's like, she, because she was on IUD, she was not bleeding, so there was no way of tracking her cycle. So she's like, you know, am I going through a menopause right now? You know, what's going on? These are so new symptoms that's really like eating away my quality of life because I cannot sit, I cannot stand, I'm literally bedridden and I'm in so much pain. Um, So, and she had gained about 10 kilos in one year. So, and she was eating pretty healthy and she was, you know, working out, but nothing was working, right? Um, And she was just slightly gaining, 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 gaining. And that was pretty frustrating for her. It was affecting her self-worth and self-love as well. Um, So when she came to see me, there was a lot of, obstacles to cure. She was smoking every day, drinking every day, and it was part of socializing. It was part of her life and culture in a way. So we were like, hmm, okay. Um, I don't know how much we can go beyond this, um, but I had a very honest conversation telling that, you know what, you know, this is what I think is going on. There's definitely some sort of inflammation and estrogen dominance picture that I see. alcohol is a playing a big role here and definitely having more toxins in their body through smoking is not helping either so after that she was very you know motivated to change um so she's been an amazing patient she um actually could not do cold turkey right away but she significantly decreased her uh, consumption of both you know alcohol and cigarette um and and she uh, followed my advice into removing inflammatory foods and whatnot and after about a month we followed up, her back pain was totally gone. Wow. Her breast tenderness was reduced by 60%. Um, so it was very minimal. She was not disturbed by it. Um, and and then she lost about three kilos, which was not, was not happening before. But we did that with no caloric restriction, no change in her physical activity, right? So she was pretty like stone And I told her, that's all inflammation. Just um, removing inflammation from her lifestyle. Yeah. So you didn't even add herbs or anything else? No, 
Not yet. Wow. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. I may have given her, given some herbs to help her with the, the detoxification of her liver. Right. Because, you know, it was doing a lot of work, right? Clearing out the alcohol, clearing out the cigarettes and all that, right? So, um, and the excess estrogen. So when we worked through that, her bloating also, she was, she said she was constantly bloated. She was fatigued. Her energy shot up. She, I think she has a better energy than I am right now. Um, and she had no bloating, right? And wow. she has so much clarity and she could like work all day if she wanted to, right? So but she's not going through menopause, right? So right now she is not. Cause I, I touch back with her and saying, you know, are you experiencing any of these symptoms? It's like, oh no, not really. And say, like, okay, we're safe. But what we're trying to work on is like, she is planning on get, got it going off of her IUD and trying to regulate her own cycle so that she, we could, you know, have a time to balance her hormones and prepare for the next transition, right? So I had another patient who comes in and she was already in her menopause when she came Wait, I'm going to cut you off. When you, when you asked her if she was having any of those symptoms as a checklist, what were those symptoms that you asked her about? Night sweats, hot flashes, um, and insomnia. Her sleep was getting better. She used to wake up around 3, 4 a.m. consistently, but that was gone. She was now sleeping through the night having amazing energy in the morning. So that's been addressed. So obviously it was not the perimenopause that was causing her insomnia, right? Right. So, and also what are the symptoms of uh, vaginal dryness, right? And um, yeah, those are the big things that I think I asked. Great. Mm -hmm. And so the other case? So the other case is a woman, oh, I think she might be 45. I'm not quite uh, certain about her age, but she came to see me. I think she's in her late 40s for sure. Um, and she came to see me when she was already, okay, my period stopped a long time ago. And she actually went to see her gynecologist and her gynecologist confirmed her for having, you know, arrived at menopause. Um, and she said she was getting mild hot flashes um, and then she had lots of gut issues. So that was our primary focus uh, in the beginning. So when we were, um, she was constantly always bloated 24 seven and that was very discomforting. And, um, and then she had lots of pain, joint pains in her neck, in her hips, in her, um, in her back, right? So she was already working with her physiotherapist on that. And we were trying to lower inflammation so that the pain is less, right? So, you know, after about a month, also her pain was about 70% down compared to before, right? And, and her bloating was also gone and she was having a little bit better energy, but she's been on levothyroxine for some time, right? And, and her morning energy is still kind of struggling right now. So the next phase of our treatment is going to be helping her to have a better thyroid function so that she has better energy. Um, yeah, so, and her hot flashes when I kind of followed up, you know, has that changed, right? And she's like, you know, um, it's much more or less noticeable for sure. Cause before it was like more happening regularly and now it's much of a less bothersome despite the hot weather, which I think is pretty amazing. But here's the thing, when women come um, to see me when they're in that early phase of perimenopause, when they're trying to kind of still figure out their menstrual cycle and that kind of thing. We have a little bit more options and ways to support the hormones before it kind of like goes down, right? So we have more options there, but when we are already in menopause and we're experiencing not only menopause, a lot of gut issues, joint issues, and a lot of things going on, Things are not going to improve as fast as we would like. We would have fewer options as to what we would like, we would like and we would have to basically kind of manage it symptomatically as well mm. with the menopause symptoms, especially, right? Because um, here's the thing: every woman is going to enter menopause, but not every woman is going to experience menopause, right? So, and when we get a head start, we might able we might be able to help these women have an easier transition with very minimal symptoms. But when we start late we have we become a little bit reactionary right and sometimes naturally not be enough for certain women and they might have to go on either hrt or bioidentical hormones but it can't possibly be a draw of a luck thing for those who will suffer symptoms and those who don't um what are things that we need to look out for to optimize our chances mm -hmm. to to ride through this wave as smooth as possible i think the number one is keeping good care of yourself. Um, and I think in a way, this menopause, perimenopause phase 
is like our body giving us last invitation to say, you know what, the next ride is going to be wild, so be prepared and take really good care of yourself now. Right. Um, and I think, you know, we are getting all these bothersome symptoms as a reminder that, hey, you know, you need to, you know, take better care of me. Because like I said, these symptoms is going to be more worse in women who are burnt out, mm -hmm. who has many years of taking care of other people, but not taking care of herself. I think I learned the hard way but after becoming a mom myself um, that when you become a mom and you become an adult, there are no one else to take, really take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself first, yeah. right? It's like putting the oxygen mask first and then taking care of your, your younger one, right? So, um, because at one point when I was like literally melting down and breaking down and you know, screaming at my child, I was like, this is not the way I want to parent. And I was so burnt out, right? I, and that was like a wake up call. I, I have to take better care of myself if I want to be the mom that I want to be. For my child yeah you were you were burning up because you were just not taking care of yourself i think it's like a conditioning as well because i looked at my mom right when i'm growing up my internal i guess default mode is also similar to my mom you work hard work hard take care of other people meet oh, others yeah. expectations right um and then i was also in medical school with the child right so i had my first son when i was in medical school and my husband actually went across the continent to pursue his own career in aviation so i was solo parenting and i was going through all that so it was like taking a toll on my body and that was the time when i was like you know what i have to change this what was one of the first things that you changed when you realized that you needed to make a shift sleep yeah because mm. i felt as a medical student i need to put my son to bed and then I have to stay up night, uh, like reviewing and studying for, uh, you know, the stuff that I had to anatomy and, you know, biochemistry and all that. Right. Um, and it was just like too much. Right. And I couldn't even focus. Nothing was going through my brain, but I just felt that I, I had to do it. Right. But then when I was at school, I was so tired. I could not focus. I like, and I was like literally met, melting down and sitting in front of my naturopathic doctor. And I was like complaining, right? <laughs> and he actually told me, you know what? You know, prioritize. And, and despite all these adaptogens that I was taking, my energy was not budging. All the B complexes of vitamin C or whatever that I was taking was not helping me, my energy to go up. But as soon as I prioritized my sleep and I was actually going to bed with my son at 8.30, right? And I was actually sleeping 10 hours during my medical school. Um, and I got super efficient during the day and during the morning. Um, and my energy picked up, my focus came back and I just made the heck out of the time that I was in school to get everything done. And I just like made it work. So with extra sleep, you didn't have to compromise on productivity. No, because I have more productivity, right? Yeah, you're yeah. not just walking around like a zombie and yeah. not being able to do anything. Because, you know, when you are not sleeping, your productivity is going down and nothing's going through your head. It takes longer hours to for you to get one thing done. But when you have sleep and you actually have increased productivity, you can get it done in a shorter amount of time. What are the common misconceptions of menopause? Um, that life is over. <laughs> um, I think as women, we can get pretty dramatic. And I think there's a fine line. Obviously, it is okay to grieve. Right. We're saying goodbye to a large portion of our lives when we are, you know, we are menstruating and we are making babies and we are, you know, feel more feminine that way. Right. We kind of attach our uh, identity with that. Right. So in a way, we're saying goodbye. So there could be some emotions related to that. But I think um, we could also reframe it. And like we said, the new phase of life, yeah. we have long years to go. Right. I love that. And if the life expectancy is 80 years old or like me, you have a goal of living till you're 100, right? You just live only half of your life, right? You have half more to go. And the half more to go, you're not tied to this menstrual cycle that gives you all these hormonal fluctuations and, you know, give you mood swings and tender breasts and all that, right? Um, it's going to be more grounded and more kind of even, right? So um, it's something that you can look out for as well, right? So um, it's a matter of 
reframing and creating new identity for yourself. I think that's what it comes with. Yeah. Could you provide some sort of a blueprint for women if they're seeking treatment, if they're going through this transition? What are some of the things that they need to hit to help them through this process? Um, Definitely don't suffer in silence. Right. So I know it's very easy for women to just suffer through every month if they have a very bad PMS. Right. You know, in fact, those PMS symptoms might be giving you some clue as to what may be out of balance. Right. So and sometimes women go through a lot of, you know, anxiety and depression and those those um PMS phase and they actually, that's one of the reasons why they get on hormonal contraceptive, right? Um, because they don't want to feel it anymore. Yes. So in a way, it's kind of numbing yourself and not trying to um, avoid avoid the situation that you don't want to get into. I understand that. But at the same time, I want to tell women that there is other, other ways to do that, right? Um, a lot of the reason why women might be feeling those anxiety or maybe a fatigue might be related to low progesterone, right? And there's so many ways naturally to increase your own progesterone production, right? Instead What's some of, of the ways? Um, for instance, giving the body it's the building blocks of making progesterone like magnesium and B6, right? And there's also herbs like Vitex that also stimulates your brain to actually produce more progesterone, progesterone for your body, right? So there are other alternatives that are available for you to balance it more naturally and and have and reap the benefits of that ovulation and high progesterone, right? So I think um, that will actually set you up for an easier menopause and more graceful um, years ahead. One of the things that you said earlier before we started recording was community is medicine. Mm-hmm. That one is so true. And I really, if there's one thing that I want our audience to take from this conversation is just don't suffer in silence. Yeah, because I think women collectively benefit from hearing each other's stories. Um, and it gives people that relief that, oh, it's not just me, right? Um, and we're, I'm not alone in this, right? And that gives massive uh, relief and connection with the other person. And and that itself, in and of itself, is I think it's a medicine. And that's why I always think community is part of the medicine. And people get so much better when they are in a group setting, right? So the next project that I'm thinking of is, you know, how am I going to introduce that in for my patients, right? Um, and I'm thinking of designing like a group program, right? So That'd that be amazing. Yeah, people can kind of come together, work on those foundational elements that is going to help them with their health, right? Um, and maybe for my other patients who already achieve all their health goals or are in their maintenance phase, they can also come together and kind of cheer each other on because it's so easy to sleep off. What's something else that people can explore? So we talked about inflammation, right? So can people easily do that on their own, just take out alcohol? Is there something else that they can tackle? Health is not about one thing. Right. Health is never about one thing. It's never about this one thing that you take out, whether it's gluten or, or sugar or dairy or, you know, one pill that you put in is going to change around. Right. It's not going to happen like that. It's a collective of um, symptoms and systems that are kind of affecting each other. Right. So, you know, start where you can, you know, work on optimizing your sleep, work on removing some junk foods or processed foods or even sugar. Or, you know, if you know that you have a family tendency to be a little bit more sensitive to gluten, uh, you have a family history of celiac or, you know, things like that, then, you know, try with the gluten, right? So, you know, you can start from those basics, but when you hit the wall and say, you know, I know I can do better, but I'm not progressing, then that's your time to find um, a doctor to work with. I want to talk about foods that can help us produce the hormones that we need. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the backbone of our, our estrogen and progesterone is cholesterol. So any fat, healthy fat is going to help us make healthy hormones, right? So things like avocado, avocado oil, like extra virgin olive oil, um, like even omega-3 rich food, uh, fishes like mackerel, sardines, and sockeye salmon, and things like that, wild-caught fish uh, is best. And... Um, get nuts and seeds, you know, as long as you're not sensitive or intolerant to them, I think are all going to help you 
um, make healthy hormone and ease um, those menopausal symptoms, right? Um, and also um, green leafy vegetables, cruciferous vegetables in particular, and also soy has been shown in research to lower menopausal symptoms, right? So those are all good. So there's so much GMO soy yes, out there, right? Soy, you have to be aware of, you know, identifying, you know, GMO soy products. And soy, I always recommend real food soy, as in soybean sprouts or soy or tofu or soybeans or tempeh, things like that, rather than, you know, those vegan, vegetarian, soy, kind of like all the chicken nuggets kind of thing. Because those tend to contain soy isolates, like soy proteins and things like that. Um, but definitely uh, Christopher's vegetables does a lot of good things. It not only helps a woman to detox estrogen, which is very important um, for women, especially in the perimenopause phase. Um, going back to Geraldine Pryor, the researcher that I mentioned, she actually connected the dots where, you know, these women in perimenopause phase, they're not actually experiencing low estrogen. They're experiencing high estrogen and low progesterone. Right. Oh. Yeah. So that's why they are gaining weight, which is an estrogen dominant picture. They are having tender breasts. They are having, you know, um, this, you know, heavy bleeding. Right. So, you know, sometimes doctors could not really pinpoint. Oh, why are they having these symptoms and, you know, insomnia and and night sweats? Right. But she's actually saying it's actually estrogen dominance and progesterone actually falls before estrogen, right? So securing that progesterone is a big thing for a woman in this phase. Um, and estrogen will eventually come down, but yeah. Oh, wow. That is fascinating. I had no idea. I've always just thought estrogen needs to keep that up. You know, the more, the better. But no. I guess it's not. It's a fine balance. If you have more of it, it causes you problems. If you have too low of it, it causes you problems. So you want to have optimal levels of it. Yeah. That fine balance sometimes yeah. feels like it's so hard to yeah. achieve. But a lot of women are achieving it. And I think you are as well. Because you said, you know, I usually don't have any symptoms. So I, it's hard for me to relate to other women. Yes. <laughs> this is the thing. This is why I'm doing this interview. Because I'm a bit paranoid it's like when it happens I want to be prepared it's kind of like but then now you're saying maybe some women just don't have severe symptoms right so fingers crossed do all the right things yeah do the right things and I think you will have a better transition well Jiwoon this is so amazing learning so much on menopause I hope this helps women out there Mm -hmm. even just to start making sense out of what what they can start doing in the next phase so we're going to close the interview with some final questions what is the book that you have gifted the most or has made the most um, a deep impression on you braving the wilderness by Brene brown oh i'm a Brene brown fan i think i read most of her books and i think that one just was like so impactful for me and it was like i needed to read that in that moment in time yeah fill in the blank love is acceptance the best lesson that your dad or your mom taught you i think both my mom and my dad taught me life lessons through their their love and their own struggle. Um, my dad was an eye surgeon. He was a doctor. Um, so he was a very busy man. Like he wrote a lot of books and, you know, published research articles and all that. But he was always home for dinner. And then he would always go back to the hospital and, and work, right? So he was, a, in a way, family guy. He was not always like that, oh, my sweet daughter kind of a daddy. But he was, you know, um, loving in his own way. But he passed away when I was 15 years old uh, from cancer. So I think the lesson that I got from my dad is put your family first, but your health first as well, right? So um, so that's what I try to live up to. Um, and I had my own shares of fears that came up during my motherhood, early motherhood, where um, I, I kind of fear my own death and how that is going to impact my own child. But I think the way I kind of rise out of that was, you know, I'm going to take really good care of myself and I'm going to not let this... Um, story um, be my own my, my, my children's story as well what advice would you give to your 30 year old self mm. you're enough just the way you are yeah because I think I was trying to do prove myself and constantly um, do more um, because I felt like I was not enough prove to who I don't know my parents uh, myself or other people I think it's just like that constant inner dialogue was going on. And I think it was only, 
in the last five years or so, I kind of like finally got out of that and and allowed myself to own my worth and say, you know, you're enough. You know, you don't have to prove anything. So true. Yeah. We don't. We are enough. And in closing, what final thoughts would you like to share with our audience that can help them go through menopause if they haven't approached it yet or for those who are going through the transition? Mm. I think take care of yourself, right? And embrace your connection with your menstrual cycle. I think I want to emphasize that because I think um, through the medical system or our upbringing, we are in a way, a lot of women are used to thinking of their menstrual cycle as their curse or, oh, I don't want to get pregnant and I don't want to deal with it kind of thing, right? But I think it offers you so much benefit if you understand how it works and how our body is designed to protect you from all these other things that might happen down the road, right? So I think, you know, starting early and don't sitting in silence and like reaching out for help if you need to, right? Um, I think those are very important lessons that I learned and also, and I also witnessed through my patients as well. And yeah, I think that's what I want to tell that um, there might be other options available that you may not have even thought of, but it can change your life, right? So. Definitely. Where can people find you? Um, people can come and see, find my website. Um, it's www.jiwoonmin.com. And um, um, I, I actually offer uh, new patients 15-minute complimentary sessions because I see, I hear a lot of people saying, what is naturopathic medicine? What is a naturopathic doctor? I don't know. I, it's my first time ever hearing it. And they don't know what to expect coming through the door. And that's why I offer these discovery sessions where they actually come like we either meet in the office or we do an online session where they actually discuss their health concerns and I just had one today and she actually brought blood brought her blood work results to me and we went through it together and basically I say you know I think these are the things that is going on these are the ways that I can help you and these are the steps that we're going to take and it just lays out a clear map and people are like excited when they actually hear about that oh you know that's why I'm having the symptoms oh you know these are the ways that I can actually you know help my body feel better and they get excited right and I think that's the beauty of connection and helping to connect the dots I think that's what I think that's what my job is helping to connect the dots for the patients and laying out strategies for them to get better you also have a Facebook group right I do I do um it is more designed for um, a lot of like young families and growing families. Um, it's called Naturally Healthy and Resilient Families Facebook group. We recently had a really good conversation about intermittent fasting, how that might um, predispose to for women to um, having earlier menopause if it, if done the wrong way. And we discussed about all the right ways to do intermittent fasting so that we can have you know increased metabolism, burn more fat, and lose weight and all that kind of thing. So yeah. Oh, wonderful. Julian, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I've learned a ton and I'm sure my audience is going to too. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jiwoon Min. And for show notes, visit my website, www.interested.blog or leave a comment on my Interested Podcast Facebook page. You can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or Spotify. And if you enjoy this episode, share it with a friend.